Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 191 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today you are joining us for part two of Keto and Women's Hormones Updates. Last week we had a loaded conversation and decided to cut it into two parts. So in part two of this episode, we will be covering a deeper dive into the thyroid and its connection with women's hormones and the ketogenic diet, as well as the topic of carb cycling. So because we broke up this episode for you guys, you'll hear our mid-roll sponsorship for what was supposed to be last episode um, come in at kind of a random jump point after we cover thyroid. So just bear with us. We didn't want to bore you guys with more sponsorship and ad talk. Not that our ads are ever terribly boring, um, but that'll kind of come in random. And then we will cut into conversation around carb cycling and answer all of your burning listener questions. Yes. And if you're listening to this live, note that we started our 12-week food as medicine virtual ketosis class last Wednesday. So you still have an opportunity to jump in and join if these messages resonate strongly with you, if you know that you need to take your fat fuel diet to the next level or do some deeper dive functional medicine work. This program is absolutely a fit for you. It is six live classes. So last week's class, you can watch archived. And I will say like 30% of the people that participate, watch it live. The majority of people, well, we'll see this time around Becky with Uh people more flexible schedules, but majority of people actually often watch the recorded and then use like our Facebook group and other ways of communicating to stay live and engaged. But the program is such a fantastic value to have Becky and my brain on your complications, struggles, pitfalls, so that we can help you troubleshoot and problem solve through these next three months. So go on over to AllieMillerRD.com slash ketosis hyphen class. Sign up and snag your spot. You can watch last week's class and be ready for next week's class two, eight. And as a member in the program, you will get um, exclusive discounts. So you're able to get uh, discounts off of labs as well as supplements. And it's a great way to just take your food as medicine to the next level. All right, let's do it. Uh, Maybe in kind of a rapid fire sort of way. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One one area I want to hit on um, is, you know, whether or not it's safe to do Mm. keto if you are hypothyroid or have um, Hashimoto's and and what's up with T3 levels actually lowering? What role does keto play with that conversion of T4 to T3? And should we be concerned if our, our T3 is going down temporarily when we start keto? Okay, so I will answer this in a rapid fire because this is another DM question I would say on keto, right? Sure. In fact, we just did a post from our countdown and someone was like, wait, 
I thought that you can't do keto with hypothyroidism. Um, so it's important to understand again that the thyroid is intimately interwound with the HPA axis. We call it kind of the HPAT or the HPAO, meaning that the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenals regulate both the thyroid and the ovaries or gonads, you know, if we're talking about males. Um, so the parts of the brain that are responsible for thyroid hormone regulation do require glucose to function, and this is the hypothalamus and the pituitary. But remember in the beginning when I described ketosis, I said hybrid. So we need to be mindful that even though we know that the, the thyroid stimulating hormone is made up of glucose, right? It requires glucose in its composition. The body is never zeroing out its glucose levels. So when you are lowering your carbohydrate intake to regulate your glucose levels, get off of those mountain peaks and valleys of blood sugar dysregulation, they will lower and then become regulated some level between likely 60 to 80, upwards of maybe 90, depending on stress and movement in the body but they're never going to zero out. In fact, even with prolonged fasting, very unlikely that someone would go super, super low because we can make glucose out of other energy substrates. You know, carbohydrates are not an essential nutrient for the body. We can go through gluconeogenesis and produce glucose in the body. And the body can make ample glucose to feed those glands in need. So I have no concern that we can't, quote unquote, that's like misinformation and a myopic approach to say, well, you can't make thyroid because you can't make TSH or, you know, you can't feed the brain, which requires glucose. The brain also can compensate and run on ketones, but the tissues that require glucose will always have ample amount. Um, so I just want to kind of make that very clear. And then when we're talking about T3, there is definitely a stress mechanism. We know that when cortisol levels go up, cortisol can interfere with the conversion of T4 into T3. And we know that when stressed, um, which can be seen from calorie restriction, not carbohydrate restriction, calorie restriction, which could be from too much fasting or from just not eating enough in your ketogenic diet. We can see reverse T3 go up and reverse T3 is a break on your metabolism. Um, but generally speaking, we can actually see some studies that show your, your T3, your free T3 values may be a physiological adaptation in the body that allows for a deeper state of keto and preserved muscle mass. And this in turn would be a good thing. Um, if your TSH and your free T4 levels remain normal, if your free T3 does go down and you are at an ideal body fat percent and an ideal body weight, you know, I would consider if you're consuming enough calories, but in general, things are probably fine if those other two mechanisms are, are managed. Um, you know, you might bring in the thyroid optimizer supplement, which has the iodine, the zinc, the thyroxine, um, and uh, the ginseng and some other tools as adaptogens. Um, to aid in that conversion and production. But I, I don't see that on its own to be concerning. And I do see that truly <laughs> eating a higher carbohydrate diet or being fearful of carb restriction if you're hypothyroid and looking to lose body weight just doesn't make sense. I mean, you're going to see the best metabolic outcomes by that carbohydrate restriction and the liberation of body fat from nutritional ketosis. Totally. And those levels can balance out too. So being scared by a one point thyroid reading when you're first starting keto, you know, just kind of monitor and, and look at symptoms, I think is the biggest thing. If you're not expressing hypothyroid 
symptoms yeah. and, and, you know, not seeing unfavorable shifts, you're probably good. Yeah. Just like we said with your first trimester podcast episode mm-hmm. on pregnancy, right? Any recalibration in the body, it's going to take a, a little bit for the body to be like, oh, okay, we're accepting this. This is changing. Okay. Now let me yeah. reset. Um, so that, that wouldn't shock me. And I would just say rerun, but you might consider bringing in the thyroid optimizer. Totally. Okay. So if stress is managed and the individual is well fed enough, then, you know, likely keto will have a favorable impact on hormones, on thyroid, on adrenals through all of these hormone supportive and anti-inflammatory mechanisms that we've mentioned. And I think with that said, you know, we do see trends in clinic where the body may still experience some imbalance due to perceived starvation. Um, but something really cool that we can do, um, to optimize this is bringing in a little bit of carb liberalization or carb cycling. So I definitely want to talk about that before we dig in on carb cycling though, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, us. Yes. <laughs> Naturally nourished supplements. So naturally nourished supplements are pure, potent, and effective. And I started the naturally nourished supplement line about seven years ago when I really started to use more orthomolecular approaches in functional medicine or high dose nutritional supplements to help to elevate my client's health. The food as medicine was getting them pretty far, but if we were dealing with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, the individuals weren't getting as far as I could get them without that added dose of L-glutamine paired with aloe and DGL, which you'll see in my GI lining support. Or the individual that was looking to lower their C-reactive protein may have been able to move it a couple points down the Richter scale by pulling out their gluten and their refined sugar and their processed American diet. But to get it to that optimal range of 0.0 of 0.8 or below, we had to layer in things like the super turmeric or the EPA DHA extra. So I always am passionate about staying on the forefront of science that is emerging to deliver these innovative formulas that really set the industry standard above the bar. We ensure that every ingredient that we source requires so much more than a certificate of analysis. We check the integrity of each ingredient for ourselves, and we ensure that all the formulas that we provide for you are two to 5% below the market industry standard of all competitors on the market. And on top of that, we provide you bundles, which are discounted at an additional 12% off of that and subscription discounts. So when you buy things monthly or every other month, this not only maintains you accountable for continued results and outcomes, but you save 10% on all of those products as well. Yes. And then beyond that, we guarantee that our supplements will always be third-party assessed to ensure they're free of mold, toxins, contaminants, and actually contain the stated active ingredients in the dosages that are noted, which can be problematic in some supplement companies. Um, so we provide the you know most effective therapeutic nutritional products possible, and we are really taking responsibility for every aspect of their manufacture. And we're looking at non-GMO, 100% gluten-free, free of all forms of soy, quality controlled, and then GMP and NSF in some of our products as well. 
Yes. So in today's episode, the most maybe fitting bundle to explore would be (laughs) our new bundle that we created called Women's Hormone Bundle. Um, Now, this includes the Relax and Regulate, Brocco Detox, and B-Complex. So this bundle collectively aids in reduction of estrogen dominance, hot flashes and menopause symptoms, recovery from hormonal birth control, support for PCOS and infertility, hormone balance and detoxification, as well as energy and mood support. It's a fantastic fit for women's hormones at all ages and stages, whether you are dealing with a dominance or unable for the body to produce the hormones that are low. Um, We have seen this as a fantastic triad support, and we've allowed this to be for all ages because what you would do is add in your multivitamin of choice. So if you're looking to conceive, get pregnant, or you're actively breastfeeding, or you're dealing with a known hormone concern um, and not experiencing a menstrual cycle, we would recommend adding on the multi-avail mama to this bundle. If you are ages 12 plus and you have a regular menstrual cycle but not looking to conceive within a year, then we would add on the multi-defense with iron. And for those that are menopausal or age 50 plus with 12 months of an absent menstrual cycle, they would add on the multi-defense without iron because it's that menstrual cycle, the bleeding, that's creating that demand for excess iron, right? So you would choose your own adventure of the multi-avail mama, the multi-defense with iron, or just multi-defense, and you could layer that on to our women's hormone balance bundle, and that would be a really great jumpstart to elevate your health. If you know that you're looking for fertility, you might otherwise select the Mama to Be bundle, which has the multi-avail Mama, our omega-3 fatty acid formula, EPA, DHA extra, the Restore Baseline Probiotic, because we know that the estrobolome or the balance of our microbiome and estrogen relationship is so intertwined. And then I would just suggest that to the Mama to Be bundle, you add on that Relax and Regulate so you get that powerful player Myo-Inositol to uh, support healthy ovulation function. And I've seen that that Relax and Regulate with the Myo-Inositol can also help with breastfeeding. So for those of you that are interested into transitioning into keto and you're worried about your milk supply, really fantastic player, regardless of keto, um, to maintain healthy uh, breast milk production. Awesome. So some really, really good tools within our line of those bundles as a starting point for those who are resonating with some of today's topics. So far, I'll link both of those in today's show notes. And all of that is at AllieMillerRD.com. Yes, yes. all that magic and more. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so although keto alone shouldn't, in theory, throw off our hormones or our thyroid as long as stress is managed and the individual is amply fueled um, and not in that starvation mode, you know, some people, including the two of us, although this is more (laughs) pre-pregnancy, I guess I'm talking about myself, um, but do, do well with carb cycling. Um, so let's talk about who's a good fit for carb cycling, what it would look like and why we would use it. Yeah. So it all kind of starts with leptin and a little deeper dive into the connection of leptin and sexual hormone expression. So again, I kind of discussed already how leptin resistance is often seen with excess body fat Um, or excess weight and low levels of leptin can be seen in an individual that has low percent body fat or low weight. Generally speaking, individuals that have leptin resistance or are looking to lose more than 30 pounds do not need 
to do carb cycling because they're likely going to get more leptin sensitivity with that body fat loss. Um, and generally speaking, they likely have enough reserves that they're not going to go at a leptin dump or dive or a low leptin level, a crash, I guess is a better term. Um, so for people that are lower percent body fat, high stress, cause stress also influences leptin. When you're under high stress, your leptin levels de deplete or decline. So this is where for myself personally, I can say I employ carb cycling a couple times a month because I am under high stress, even though I do what I can as far as I take all of the supplements to support my HPA <laughs> axis, um, especially during this shelter in place, my calm and clear has been at like seven to nine a day. Um, I'm doing two scoops of relax and regulate. I got my adaptogen boost in there and, and kind of all the other things in between. I still notice that because I am a busy mama and I'm running my business and working as a full-time practitioner, that because of nutritional ketosis, I sometimes forget to eat because I don't get as dynamic signals of hunger as I would if I was on that blood sugar roller coaster. So whether it's intentional or unintentional, inample intake of calories can contribute to lower leptin levels. And that's something really important to call out. So like Becky mentioned before, you could be burning too much calorie through your spin class or whatnot, um, or you might not be taking it enough because you're fasting too long, or it could be because you're busy and you're not hungry <laughs> and you know, you're know you just burned out from, from fat bomb type things. So for those individuals that are running lower leptin, again, high stress, low body fat, not eating enough, these people would likely do fantastic to liberalize their carbohydrates to about 50 or 70 grams um, in a period of time of a carb cycle, or they might find that they do better in like a phase 1.5, a more liberated keto approach instead of a tight 30 grams restriction that they would do well in like a 45 or 60 where their body doesn't get in that deep, deep state of nutritional ketosis. But carb cycling as kind of carb up or getting a slingshot impact of a higher carb tends to work really well for me. Um, and the way that I balance this is that um, carb cycling is based on this idea that leptin is insulinogenic. So when your insulin levels are low based on your low carb intake, they kind of stay standardized low. Um, you're not really surging your leptin um, release because there's not a lot of body fat to liberate to create that. And maybe you're not getting a huge release because you're not eating high amounts of concentrated fat. You're just eating higher fat-ish in your two meals a day. Um, what we want to look at is when in the menstrual cycle for a cyclical woman, when is leptin at the highest demand and um, when would it make most sense to kind of get that rev up of a leptin release. And um, my biggest impact there that I've seen in research, the International Journal of Endocrinology and Metabolism back in 2013, um, put out a study that looked at changes in leptin during phases of the menstrual cycle of fertile women. And we see that serum leptin levels are the lowest during the menstrual and secretory phase and um, highest around the luteal phase. So there is going to be a significant increase of leptin in younger age groups likely tied to fertility um, than those as the population aged. So likely optimizing your leptin plays a good component in pregnancy and fertility. And we see that leptin receptors are found in the human ovaries and the pre-ovary follicles. And your fat stores represent a component, again, of how dependent your body is on that available energy. 
about it. So if, you know, calories are too low or, or you're going too low in carbs, you could really be messing with that leptin's ability to regulate your reproductive hormones. Yeah. And again, this is insult to injury. If you're sure. not consuming enough calories you're not sleeping enough and you're under high stress, um, because those things burn through leptin even further. So the, the big thing is insulin stimulates leptin synthesis. So if you're dramatically cutting your carbs, you're likely, you know, deepening your leptin levels. If you're already at a borderline low leptin. Now we'd want to ensure that we consider a carb up to get actually kind of a surge or a peak of insulin to, to give the body that kind of safety reset button that leptin genesis, leptin genesis or, or, you know, insulin, insulin impact of leptin signaling is going to synthesize. So we know in research that a critical leptin level is needed to maintain proper hormone level and menstrual cycles. And I generally find this intake um, at like that first and second day of my cycle. And then 19 and 20, if we're talking about a, a 28 day flow, um, and you're looking at taking carbs in, like I said, about two to three times your norm to push that reset button and um, compensate for those times where you would otherwise see the greatest dips. Totally. And, and I think it's nice to have that kind of permission slip, if you will, to indulge in foods that, you know, are within reason and still fall within a real whole food approach, um, and are health supporting and have a purpose here. Cause those might be the days, especially that like one and two of cycle where you feel like having a little bit more chocolate or making like a more paleo type of, of dessert or something like that. Most definitely. And it takes it that whole thing of, again, the kind of doctrine creates disconnect of just being intuitive. And so I've probably increased my carbs by like at least 15 grams a day total in the last eight weeks of shelter in place, because I've felt the effects of elevated epinephrine and adrenaline and waking in the middle of the night and feeling like this energy shakiness of this epinephrine surge. And especially once I saw that in my labs, I was like, okay, I'm going to liberate a little bit. I'm going to feed myself more frequently. I'm going to make sure I eat by 10 AM every morning. How are you <laughs> doing with that? What? How are you doing with that? Is I'm that doing all right. Yeah, I'm okay. sipping on some ginger carrot okay. bone broth soup right now. And I probably made it at like 1130, yeah. but still close. Better, doing better. Because <laughs> um, there would be days where I would just intuitively fast till 3 p.m. Yeah. and it was totally fine. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, listening to the body and being mindful of that connection, but also understanding that there is a mechanism of this carb up and that that can be a really great way to still live in the magic of ketones, um, yet ensuring that you are getting that enhanced leptin activity during times of leptin drops based on your cycle. And yet you're still going to get the balance of the reduced inflammation, the enhanced satiety, that hypothalamic pituitary response to FSH and LH by bringing this in as a synergy. And it's important to note that for most of us that are candidates for carb cycling, again, high stress, high active, um, low body fat or, you know, healthy body fat. Most of us are so metabolically flexible that we're going to go back into a state of nutritional ketosis within as early as eight, 10, 12. I've tested myself the following morning and been producing ketones after an evening of carb up. Um, so it could be 12 to 24 hours that you're easily back into nutritional ketosis. 
Totally. And, and this strategy can be applied, you know, to help to boost body fat burn and get you out of a, a little bit of a slump to support lean body mass. So you might time it, you know, more appropriately with your workouts. If you're not someone who's menstruating and, and are of a low body fat percentage can help to reduce inflammation, heal autoimmune disease, and be that natural fertility boost that you mentioned. Absolutely. And, um, back in episode 75 was the first time we hit up carb cycling Mm -hmm. on the podcast. So we'll definitely link that in the show notes. And I just want to give you guys, because that's been a while, while Uh (laughs) an example. (laughs) Yeah. I want to give you an example day of what a carb up might look like for me. Let's do it. So, um, I would start my day and I'll kind of go out of the like shelter in place. I'll do my norm norm. Okay. So I would start my day often with like a matcha or a coffee. I kind of rotate. So let's say it's a matcha day and it has just matcha powder with hot water, maybe a little bit of powdered ginger and, um, two teaspoons of coconut oil and one teaspoon of grass fed butter. That's all blended. And then I also blend in a scoop of collagen. So that's my modified fast. And I do that because I don't have a lot of body fat reserves to go into that allows me to still stay cognitively kind of on fire. I get a nice boost of energy. My body doesn't feel like taking in food right away. So it's an easy way to start my work day and just go, go, go. And then generally speaking at like 11 or 12 is when I would have meal one. That might be a can of skipjack tuna with like six to eight olives cut up in it, uh, half an avocado. Uh, That would also have some like primal kitchen mayo with um, like an olive oil-based mayo or avocado oil-based mayo, some celery, some parsley or cilantro, whatever herb we have on hand, and a little bit of acid like lemon in there. And that would just be kind of like a tight, dense meal. That's how I generally eat in the middle of the day. I might have um, like half an apple with almond butter as a snack that day. And then that evening meal, if I'm having a uh, like large ribeye that we put on the grill, Brady and I, and splitting that, I would have like a half cup of sweet potatoes instead of like, if I'm just doing my um, kind of, kind of real food keto, I might have like a tablespoon of sweet potatoes, but not call that a carb cycle. But if I was carb cycling, I would ensure I have at least a half cup. Um, that might look like two thirds cup of the sweet potatoes and then some asparagus. And then that evening I would ensure that I had some form of like a treat. So if you're someone that wants to keep it totally savory, you could do a full cup of those sweet potatoes. Um, you might have, um, a date and a half to kind of compensate and get you all the way up to that 45 gram influx from your typical day. But for me, I would probably go for something like, um, heavy whipping cream with a drizzle of raw and filtered honey and a cup of strawberries. Um, So either way, all of that collectively with the over half cup of sweet potatoes, plus the cup of berries, plus the half apple, plus the honey drizzle, which might be like two teaspoons if I'm being generous there, is going to get me upwards of an additional like 45 grams of carbs from what my norm baseline would be. And that's gonna create that surge and then hit that reset button for that leptin response. Totally. And so you're concentrating the carbs, it sounds like in the evening time, which is a recommendation. And then I think that is important to note to like make it a dynamic swing from your typical day to day. I think a lot of us struggle with that when we are keto most of the time. It's like, oh, I had some carbs. I had half a cup of blueberries. That's not a carb cycle. That probably keeps you well into deep nutritional ketosis. Yeah. And so typically I live in like this, what I call phase 1.5. So in my 12 week keto program, 
we have phase one, which is, and this is actually congruent with the phases of the anti-anxiety diet. So phase one is like getting your body into fat adaptation and that's tight carb control. 30 grams a day total, not net, 30 grams a day total of restriction, watching those residual carbs, which add up from things like your nuts and your seeds and your avocado and your non-starchy vegetables and keeping out the starchy vegetables and the fruits for that whole period of time. Once you're like six weeks plus into that protocol is when you can start to explore my phase 1.5. And I talk about this more in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, but it's really, I think, hit home in the program when we can really troubleshoot this with people. And that's what Becky's referring to. And that's what I was kind of mentioning with the sweet potatoes. So my household is always doing a starch and I'm always having a little bit of it, but it's generally just enough like... Brady cuts the sweet potato pieces so small, it's probably about two tablespoons that would be my norm, which would be less than like eight grams of carbohydrate um, coming in from that sweet potato. And that means that my typical phase 1.5 might bring me to like 45 or 50 grams of carbs a day. And then if I'm doing a carb up, I'm pushing into phase two, which would hit over 70 grams, generally speaking. And so we're really getting that reset button. And we help to walk you through in the program because it's not myopic. It's not one size fits all tunnel vision. You don't, it, there's not a good, better, best of phase one is killing it. Phase 1.5 is kind of mm-hmm. lazy. Phase two is loser or yep. whatever, you know, <laughs> it's just like, how do you feel right. in each of these? Um, you know, did you feel abundant? How was your digestive tract the day after? Um, you know, did you have a really awesome, massive bowel movement the following day after a carb up because you got that binding fiber and it felt like really cleared in your system? Then that's probably good feedback, especially if you're able to get right back on track. You didn't have any cognitive impairment. You didn't have any um, neurological setbacks if you're doing this for like multiple sclerosis you didn't have dexterity issues or something right so we have to kind of always watch what's the feedback in the moment what's the feedback in the aftermath and what works best for us and that's the phase that we pro- that we follow in the protocol and then we might intuitively bring something in higher or lower based on season based on stress and based on desire really Totally. And that applies with the amount of carbs, the timing, and even, you know, the, the type of carbs that we're selecting. So if you decided your carb cycle was going to be popcorn and got unfavorable GI outcomes and constipation and gas the next day, maybe next time you don't do popcorn and you do the sweet potato and the berries. (laughs) Yeah, totally. That's what we always unpack. Like, so was it the food choice? Same thing with fruit. I think a lot of us like purists that came into keto from paleo Mm -hmm. or, you know, transitioned from a dirtier keto into a really clean keto, um, you know, we may want to think of a fruit as a carb cycle option, which is fine, but I generally find a capacity of fruit, um, you know, where I couldn't have like a bowl of like pineapple, melon, Mm -hmm. uh, grapes, X, Y, Z, and I'd always need a little bit of fat with that. It's never going to be a pure naked, naked carb. Um, because that to me can really throw like a fructose impact in my body and I'll get more neurological setback than a starchy, uh, veg that was paired with like coconut oil or something like that. Totally. Okay. So let's transition into like real rapid fire (laughs) mode. And I'm going to ask you a couple more questions that we got as some of the more popular ones on Instagram. Um, For all you listeners out there, make sure that you're engaging on social media at 
Allie Miller RD on Instagram and tag us when you are making some of these changes that you've learned about either in podcast episodes or in our virtual keto program, tag us in your supplement picks, tag us in your food posts. We love to see how you guys are engaging with this information. Or your screenshot of you listening to the podcast and share which episodes you're (laughs) loving with your friends and family for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So best supplements and maybe a little bit of strategy around fibroids. What should I do? Okay. So I hit on kind of in the troubleshooting with the breakthrough bleeding and I would take a very comparable approach. Uh, fibroids, I would first and foremost lead with inflammasome. I would definitely say a fibroid person should do a ketogenic diet because we need to really harness that, that, um, inflammatory process and that estrogen dominance. And so we, we really want to help the liver function. Uh, we want to absolutely bring out any fructose in the diet in refined form. So not in the, in the guise of, you know, carb cycling, as I was just discussing, but I'm talking about like standard American diet, high fructose corn syrup, really important to bring down for fibroids. Um, so inflammasome would be the best formula with those proteolytic enzymes and the bromelain. Uh, we would also bring in that Brocco detox. And if we have known fibroids that are being monitored, I would further come in with the, uh, reset, restore, renew detox packs. I would recommend doing a packet rise and rest for like at least two weeks and then bringing it down to about a pack a day. And this would be a population where fasting would also work really well. We're trying to get into, again, kind of metabolizing and breaking down autophagy, reducing that buildup in the body. And a probiotic challenge would probably be a good go for in this population because again, that estrobolome plays a huge role in estrogen dominance. And um, an individual that has fibroids, I've had many in clinic that have dealt with chronic infertility and uh, were told that they had to have surgical removal. But by following a keto approach with the inflammasome, Brocco detox and detox packs, and beat the bloat cleanse. That was kind of that last ticking component. Um, We've seen really favorable outcomes. Um, So if lower body fat, I would probably go more for like supporting the liver and um, really digging into the microbiome in those individuals, because that's probably that root cause of that estrogen dominance, as opposed to, you know, just the body fat holding onto that estrogen store. That makes sense. We talked a lot about, um, that influence of dysbiosis on estrogen dominance in the episode where we covered your cleanse. I'll make sure I, I don't remember exactly what it's something number, with beat the bloat in the yeah, title beat though, the bloat, I believe. dysbiosis disease connection. I'll link it in the show notes, um, for those interested in finding out more. Yeah. And there was so much research that we posted. I hope I carried it. I think I carried it onto the website. So a really cool thing for those of you that are still exploring Ali Miller RD in its facelift version, um, there's a resources and a research section. And so, uh, around that time of that episode in February, We looked at how uterine tissue, like the tissue of the uterus, can actually shift on a cellular level through berberine supplementation um, and that aiding in management of inflammation and, and repairing healthy tissue in the uterus. So I believe I did put a lot of those links into that product page, the berberine boost, which is in that Beat the Bloat bundle. Yep, totally. 
Okay, hot flashing with keto. Okay, I'm gonna try to be better at rapid fire. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so the hot flashes I think of as like an epinephrine cortisol thing, but I also think of them as a dramatic drop in weight, which means a dramatic um, shift in estrogen, and that can be an imbalance in the body. So I'd go for detox support there. Um, I would bring in the 10 day detox program probably, especially if this is like a perimenopausal person, really good reset and ensuring that they're getting all of their polyphenols, antioxidants, supporting liver gallbladder function and reducing that stagnation. Um, we would look at, uh, also the relax and regulate because if hormones declining, we need that myo inositol to produce hormone. And so if we are getting a, a decline with age, that would help in that, that rebound there. That was way faster. Good job. Um, loss of period with keto or um, premature ovarian failure. Okay. So we have an awesome episode called uh, Getting Your Cycle Back. It's episode 149 of the Naturally Nourished podcast where we talk all about hypothalamic amenorrhea. And again, this is like a faux pas where a lot of people will say, you can't do keto if you lost your period. I would say you can't fast if you lost your period, but that doesn't mean you can't do keto. You need to make sure that you are eating more fat. So you might want to increase your fat intake by a total of an extra 30 grams a day from what your norm is. So that's like two extra tablespoons of pure fat from what your norm diet is. Um, I would definitely make sure that this person's watching their stress support. So again, the calm and clear, the adaptogen boost, relax and regulate, making sure that they're getting a multivitamin like the Multivale Mama, especially if they had a history of birth control because we know birth control depletes a lot of the minerals and B vitamins that are required for hormone production. And then I would reduce that individual's exercise until they get their cycle back and then work the exercise back in if they want to stay keto as the commitment. And then otherwise I would have them liberate their carb intake a little bit and go into that phase 1.5. But I still think a dominant fat fueled diet is very appropriate to get your period back as long as you're managing your sleep, your stress, and you're providing yourself that nutrient density. How about this one? My cycle isn't regular or I'm menopausal. How can I implement carb cycling? So I generally recommend following the moon. Think of the full moon as ovulation and the new moon as a period. And that's a great way to have that, you know, twice a month window of time because that happens evergreen, right? Otherwise you might choose to use your calendar and for men listening, right? You might choose as a freedom factor to consider the carb cycling. So it might be an event that's coming up. Um, I just say, generally speaking, if you are carb cycling and you are benefiting from nutritional ketosis, don't do it more frequently than like, uh, you know, 13, 14 day window. You definitely don't want to do it necessarily every week because then it's kind of like the pizza beer on a Saturday Mm -hmm. starting again. And then it creates this kind of like cheat on off mental mess, I think. And so it's better off to keep like twice a month versus a weekly approach. Totally. How can I reduce PMS symptoms? Okay. So big one would be the relax and regulate for the inositol. I hate to be a broken record there. Um, that's what we should have just been sponsored by relax and regulate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the herbal immune actually in the, uh, beat the bloat bundle is fantastic. There's a lot on the works of lemon balm, um, reducing, uh, PMDD. Uh, we can see that it can also support as a diuretic, reducing fluid retention. It also can help as an anxiolytic supporting mood balance and calming the nervous system. And we've seen that the herbal immune can support healthy progesterone levels in the herbal combination that's provided there. So that could be something that could be brought in 
um, as you go into like days 14 on of your cycle and you could take one twice daily for that second half of your cycle to, to regulate the PMS symptoms and that could be appropriate. Or if you perceive dysbiosis, you might go all the way into the cleanse. And then this might be someone when we see PMS, we generally have elevated prolactin. Again, remember that drives that breast tissue, tenderness, the bloating and whatnot. So hemp seeds would be another thing you could consider bringing in on that second half of the cycle. Um, you might try the carb cycling during that post ovulation time, like days 19 and 20. And episodes 106 and 107 of the Naturally Nourished podcast are all about um, regulating your menstrual cycle, getting off of hormonal birth control. And I think that there's a lot of PMS and like, period cramping protocol with like super turmeric and inflammasome and omega-3s and all that too. Okay. Keto for heavy periods and cramps. Can it help? Yeah. So it's a great tool because again, remember your sexual um, hormone binding globulin can be regulated by rebounding your cortisol levels and also by reducing your excess insulin levels. Um, we'd want to watch for the cramps and periods, um, caffeine at that time, considering cutting that out, adding in adaptogens. Um, so both the adaptogen boost and the, um, again, lemon balm back in the herbal immune would be good things to consider because often it's low progesterone that drives the heavy periods and cramps. So those are things that could be brought in towards that kind of second half as you go into your menstrual window. Sure. And we haven't really touched on it, but potentially testing hormones, if this stuff is ongoing for any of these, you know, symptoms that we've mentioned of more than three months after you've shifted to keto, you're still not seeing a change with some of the supplemental support, potentially looking into our neurohormone um, lab to get a little bit deeper dive and see if you need a bioidentical or something like that. Totally. Most definitely. Okay. Keto and acne with hormones. So my acne initially got better, but now it's back. Okay. So it might be depending on whether you did liberalize your diet or not. Um, it depends on if you're in your same tight keto or if you did bring in some carbs. Um, you know, if you did bring in some carbs, you might find that that wasn't working well for you. Um, we know that the progression of acne is often inflammatory, hormone dominant, and microbiome based. And we have seen, you know, the tighter nutritional ketosis tends to be a tighter reduction in inflammation. And as our insulin levels are adjusted, our IGF-1 actually increases our um, sebum production in the skin. Um, and so that can play a big role. We see insulin resistance and IGF-1 as big drivers of hormonal-related acne. Um, and so we'd want to make sure that we are um, regulating our insulin levels and keeping that low. So keto would be a great approach. But if it has picked back up, it might be that that shock was helpful for regulating and now it's the other mechanisms that are still unmanaged. So I would say go for the liver, um, supporting your liver with the Reset, Restore, Renew detox packs, maybe doing the 10-day detox. Um, and ensuring that you're supporting stress because of those androgens. And you might consider the probiotic challenge to check on the biome because sometimes pathogens can be kind of thrifty. And so the low carb may have kind of starved off like a yeast flare, for instance, but now the, the candida is like, oh, well now I can feed off of these ketones. So now I'm coming back out through mm -hmm. the skin again. And so even though you're still regulating insulin, even though you're still in an anti-inflammatory approach, you might need to get into those biofilms and really kill off or eradicate that bacterial imbalance. So you could try that by bringing in a good probiotic and do the probiotic challenge or just go right for that 
beat the bloat and kind of plow the gut and push that reset button. Totally. Okay. Last one, I think. <laughs> I know. I've packed a lot of these rapid <laughs> fires in here. This is the last one we can do. It's fine. Okay. Um, so I'm already doing keto. I've seen a wonderful impact on DHEA balance in my estrogen and progesterone. What else can I do to regulate my hormones and support healthy pregnancy with a history of miscarriage? Okay, so I would totally go for cellular antiox. Um, that's the combination of glutathione, B6, and NAC. And um, this is actually now being used actually with a lot of infertility clinics, both N-acetylcysteine and glutathione. CoQ10 was kind of, I think, like the first mm -hmm. new kid on the block as far as functional nutrition interventions. But we're understanding that the presence of antioxidants, namely glutathione, play a huge role in follicular health, protecting egg health, um, and if we're looking at our menstrual cycle, we see that glutathione levels increase when estrogen concentration is increased throughout hormone demand. So, um, you know, making sure that especially if we're someone that has estrogen dominance, we'd be at a higher need of glutathione. Um, so that would be a good thing to consider layering in there. Okay. So this has been yet another jam-packed episode. I think we provided a lot of high level and hopefully high interest content. Hopefully you all loved today's episode and got something out of it with regard to how you can optimize your keto for hormone balance. So if you love this episode, please head on over to iTunes, give us a five-star review along with a sentence or two of why you love the naturally nourished podcast, and be sure to check out the links in each episode, which will have a direct click through on the reference products in our supplement line, as well as other affiliate links for products that we love and links to studies when appropriate, unique discounts that we can share just with you guys and more. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.